You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. John chapter 6. So there's a context here. Jesus is fed. Look, you, I'm going to give you a chance to look in your subheadings just so you can, you know. So who, who did Jesus just feed in this text? Yeah, the 5,000. Um, the, the scriptures tell us that he fed the 5,000 because he had compassion on them. He felt, he felt as though they were sheep without a shepherd. He, they, they, he saw people who were hungry, right? And what did he do? He gave them food. He's the most basic. I mean, there's so many sermons out of that, right? Like, he didn't ask them all to fill out an application, you know, and decide which ones were worthy of the food. What I love is Jesus didn't look at the 5,000 and go, you know, it's really y'all's fault that you traveled all this way without food. I mean, you should have been more prepared. Um, you know, my daddy raised me to be prepared, you know, in the carpentry shop. So you should have been more prepared. This is kind of on you that you don't have food. Yeah, yeah he didn't do that. Um, he saw him hungry and he, you know, made sure they had food. So just as a sidebar, when Jesus says, do what I do, he means that kind of stuff too, right? Um, people are hungry, let's just give them food. Right. Uh, so Jesus sees them, they're hungry, he gives them food, calls it a day. All right, so the text picks up, verse 22, if you'll um, follow along with me. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew there had only been one boat. They also knew that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate bread after the Lord gave thanks. Now, real quick, I want to pause. I would like for you, if you will, I want to give it away. I would like for you to see Lord's Supper imagery in this text. It's there. When Jesus holds the bread up in the 5,000, what does it say he does? He holds the bread, he does what? He blesses it, and then he gives thanks. It's the same formula that Jesus uses in the Lord's Supper. John, here, how did he talk about, look at verse, uh, where am I? How did he talk about it in verse 23? Near the place where they what? Ate the bread after the Lord what? Gave thanks. Notice that John doesn't say, where they fed the 5,000. John is poking at some imagery too. John is very clever in his letter. And he everything is moving towards something in John's gospel. Nothing is kind of standing on its own. So in this text, there's a lot of Eucharistic, a lot of Lord's Supper, a lot of communion language here. And it's important that I think we see that. That's just kind of a giveaway. All right, so when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were in the boat, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. They were looking for Jesus. Who would blame them? When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said, okay, so Jesus sidesteps a lot, right? Like he didn't say, man, I've been here for you know, a couple of hours, just kind of chilling. Like Jesus is, is super intense and serious sometimes. So he's not even in the mood for small talk. So Jesus, when did you get here? Man, you're looking for me not because you saw all the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Man, it's in the Greek. It's in like, dude, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. All right, so now feel free to quit your job tomorrow morning, right? Like, like that's how we need to read the text, right? Everybody quit. We no longer have to work. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. 
Okay, now I'm going to poke at some very literal readings of this text because I want you to see you got to read more than just the text. You got to get inside the story and discern the scripture. You can't just be like reading it and think, oh, well, that's easy and come up with some overly simplistic interpretation. No, Jesus is not saying stop doing jobs. It's not what he's saying, unfortunately. I mean, you know, Dave and I work two days a week anyway, so it's, um, well, technically Dave works three. He visits people one, one whole day. <laughs> I need to not, that is not what we do here. Do I, do I? But they're 24 hours. <laughs> oh, but, oh, oh, nice. And he drops the mic and walks out of the building. All right, so this, that's not what he's saying. So look, I assure you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the sign, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts forever, which the Son of Man will give you, which I'm willing to give you, because what? I mean, if you don't have your Bibles, pull up your iPhones. Just don't Facebook or tweet. Because what? God the Father has set his seal of approval on him, because I am sent by God. Look, God, God has endorsed me. So if, if, you want, if you want everlasting sustenance, just like, just ask. Well, their interpretation, right? Verse 28, what can we do to perform the works of God? Like, well, what, what do we do then to, 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 to do this? And Jesus says, you ready? This is the work of God. I want you to repeat after me. That you believe in the one he is sent. Christianity ain't complicated. It's just hard. Right? That you believe in the one he is sent. What does the word believe mean? Come on. I'm in a talking mood. Okay, trust. That's, that's good. What else? Do what? Rely upon. Have confidence in. This is a verb. What are verbs? Action. <laughs> Technically, they're supposed to be. Oh, oh, sp- oh, right, right, right. Spoken like, oh, no. yeah, I'm, I can't. Shirley knows more than I do. Okay, so most of the time, they're actions. This word means place confidence in because of an allegiance placed upon. Say it with me. Place confidence in. Because of an allegiance placed upon. This is about allegiance and it's about confidence. And if it's those two things, then it's always going to be a verb. This isn't a, I believe, Jesus. I believe. This isn't a proclamation. This is an embodied action. An embodied action. It requires embodied action. Because having confidence in Jesus has to look like something because life's going to bring us to a place where we're tempted to place confidence in ourselves. Life's going to bring us to a place where we're tempted to place our allegiance in something or someone else. And Jesus says, if you want what I've got to give, just believe me. Notice, believe in and believe have to be distinguished in our culture of Christianity, right? It's one thing to believe in them, it's another thing to believe in. You with me? Trusting Him because I've placed my allegiance to Him above all the other allegiances, and I find my confidence in Him above all other confidences. The problem with this is this leaves us to naivete. 
So when I'm saying to my son, Ian, hey, ask the Lord about it, what am I doing? Come on, what do you think I'm doing? I'm doing more than telling him to go pray, though that's part of it, but what am I really trying to do? I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying to say, have some confidence in the Lord, buddy. And I know that my son's going to come to me as he has many times and say, hey, look, dude, um, talk to him like 72 times and hear a thing. Does that mean God's not at work? What do I get to do at that point with my son? I get to talk through how God works in the world now. Do you see where I'm going? Come on now. Y'all were really good and charismatic like two weeks ago. I mean, e, Garrett even had us raising holy hands 55 times in the middle of the service. I mean, no, like this gives me a chance to talk about what it means for God to work in the world. And sometimes, yes, God speaks directly through us in our gut, but then sometimes God speaks to one another through his people. It gives me a chance to work it out with my son, but one way or the other it gives me a chance to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is at work. The Lord knows he's the one. And I need him to learn that now because right now he's smarter than all of us. You know why kids are smarter than all of us? Because they believe that Jesus will do the stuff he says he'll do. They're the Peters. Now, they'll sink, but at least they'll take a step onto the water. And we're, we're smart. We got degrees and stuff. And if we don't have degrees and stuff, we have, we've been taught at the school of life. And we prayed to Jesus, and he's let us down more times, and he's probably picked us up. And we think that has a lot to do with Jesus. And so, therefore, we categorize Jesus and say, that's not how he works in the world. And yet here Jesus is saying, if you believe me, you'll be filled. You're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, not because you saw what I was doing in turning the bread and the loaves into more bread and lo more loaves and fish. You, you didn't see that. You just, you just ate. Right? But this is what Jesus says. You, you came to me because you did not see the sign. You just ate the stuff. You came to me because you wanted the blessings, not the blesser. You came to me because you saw the bread and the fish and you were hungry and it met a felt need. Say a felt need. It met a felt need, but it didn't, you didn't see what it was really trying to show you. You got your bill paid out of nowhere, and you came to me just to pay the other bill. You didn't see what really happened in that bill getting paid. You came to me because you saw that person get healed, but you... So you came to me because you needed somebody else to get healed, but you didn't come to me because you really saw what I was doing in the healing. That all physical healing is a foretaste of the healing that comes in its fullness. You see, I think that's what Jesus is saying. You saw it, but you didn't discern it. Say discern it. He didn't differentiate between what was really happening and what was really happening. Because you're too smart for that. You're too, you're too country for that. You're too educated for that. You're too whatever for that. Jesus, Jesus is saying you, you didn't see it. Verse 30, what sign then are you going to do? Because they still don't see it, right? What sign are you going to do that we can see and believe you? So see, so check it out. So Jesus turns like all these little loaves and little, little fish into lots of loaves and lots of fish, and they're still looking for signs. They sound like us, don't they? They're like, come on, man, let's put ourselves in the crowd because I'm all up in that. Like I ate the loaves, I ate the fish. And now I'm asking Jesus for a sign to prove that he's the son of God. 
Like I, we put all kinds of Bible things on it too, like flip the fleece. He didn't flip the fleece more times. What side are you going to do so we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they referring to? What are they referring to when they talk about that? Yeah, they're talking about the Exodus period, the wilderness, where God fed the people of Israel with the bread and the manna from heaven. So Jesus says then, verse 32, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. <laughs> My Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, what? Sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus says, I am. It's one of the I am statements, by the way. One of the I am statements in the New Testament, which are very powerful statements where God, where Jesus is very clearly saying, I'm, I, I, the I am that spoke to, uh, to Moses is the I am that is here right now. I am the bread of heaven. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Verse 41. Therefore the Jews started complaining about him, because that's what we do. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now why did they complain because Jesus said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven? Come on, I really want to talk this through. Why, 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 do, they, why do you think they're complaining because Jesus said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven? Yeah, it's bla why is it blasphemy? Okay, so you're out, there's that, that you're not allowed to claim to be God because only God is God. But remember, Jesus corrected them. Raise your hand if you really like being corrected. Yeah, yeah. Because if you did, I would have to correct you, right? Because nobody likes to be corrected. Like, I love to be corrected. No, you don't. Okay, I don't. Oh, that's why I raised my hand, because I love being corrected. No, no, no. I have never woken up in the morning and go, man, I really hope people prove me wrong all day. Like, that's a great day. How was your day? I was proven wrong 17 times. It was fantastic. Like, that is not how we work. Like, Jesus just corrected one of their greatest stories ever. He put it in a different perspective. They're saying, look, man, no, no, no. Yahweh gave us bread. And Jesus is like, he didn't give you bread? Moses didn't give you bread. Moses gave us bread. Moses didn't give you bread. I'm the bread. Jesus is saying to them, here we are. You're reading the Bible wrong. That's what he's saying. Like, did Moses give them bread from heaven? Eh, see, kind of, sort of. Like, right? No, God did. Did Moses play a part in interceding for that? Yes, that's the way the story reads. Moses went to God and said, God, they're hungry. God said, yes, you're my, sort of my priest to them. I'll, I'll provide. But Jesus is poking at that. In a sense, he's saying you're reading your Bible wrong. So do you think they're happy about that? How many times have you been real happy with me when I've taught something that was contrary to what you've always believed? No, I can show you emails that some of you weren't happy with me. And it's okay. I may be wrong. The beauty of gathering together is sort of working this stuff out, right? But here, Jesus is saying, you guys have it all wrong. You're not discerning what it is you're seeing. 
Seeing is one thing, discerning is another. That's why the sermon series is called Discerning the Way. We live in a society where we're given all kinds of stuff and we're told to believe it's true. And there are we're told not to believe it's true. You choose. Oh, fake news stuff. I mean, we don't like it, we call it fake news. If it doesn't fit our agenda, we call it alternative facts. That's what the country's narrative has given us. And we got people buying into this stuff. And it happened to Christianity. It was happened a long time before somebody gave voice to it. And we need to learn how to discern what it is we're seeing. Jesus says, that's not it. So verse 41, Jews start complaining about him because because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, again, here's not seeing. They weren't discerning him. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Then how can he say he came down from heaven? He just, he's too plain. 47. I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your father ate the manna in the wilderness, and they what? Died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat it. Come on now, listen to me. So that anyone, no, listen to Jesus. So that anyone may eat of it and what? And what? And what? Then why are we holding on so hard in fear? Right? Because we're afraid to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Our bodies are going to give way at the inevitability. One out of one doctor is a proof. Ten out of ten doctors are proof. There's a one out of one stat. Every one of us is going to kick it. But Jesus says what he says, right? Like, he who believes in me will never die. Your bodies will give way, but you will live on. So what are you so afraid of? And they're going to blow us up. Maybe so. What are you afraid of? See, you and I have nothing to fear because we have Jesus. What about the people who don't have Jesus? They've got everything to fear. So enter you and me, who have nothing to fear, to bring the bread of life to them and say, hey, you don't have to go hungry. Believe in him, and things can change. But I'm not sure it's changed for us. No wonder why we can't say it. We're not really sure what we really believe. Because we're too afraid to die. We're too afraid to take a risk. We don't have to be. Because the one who took a few loaves and a few fish and turned it into enough to feed the 5,000 is still at work today. Raise your hand if you've seen Jesus work in your life. Raise your hand. He ain't checked out. You don't get a one and done. He's a grace-given God who gives liberally without reproach. What's the work of God? Belief. But what is belief? A confidence placed in and an allegiance placed upon. It is a verb. See, the problem with us sometimes is we've placed our confidence in one too many things and given our allegiance to one too many things. No wonder why we're so fear-driven. No wonder why we try to find bread to fill us in other places. 
We try to find sustenance. We try to find places to fill our joy. That's the bread thing. We try to fill our happiness. We try to fill our family dreams. We negotiate the things that matter because we're trying to find the things that we think matter more at the moment just to realize 10 years later they didn't matter near as much. But today can be different for you and me. Today can be different where we decide that we're no longer going to see, but we're going to start discerning. Because what our society needs is a Christian community that no longer sees, but discerns. Who can discern the truth from the lies and the fiction from the nonfiction. Who can discern joy from happiness, conditional love from unconditional love. Who can discern fake peace from real peace, false peace from true peace. Who can discern the truth from the lies like our prayer. Who can discern between bitter and sweet so that we don't call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. Who can discern darkness from light, so that we can call darkness light and light darkness. So we can discern war from peace and peace from war. And the fact of the matter is, in doing so, we're going to be made out to be fools. Just as Jesus was. And so that's why I think Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus didn't stop at a topical sermon. He landed at some place. Look at the text. If you don't have it, just listen closely, if you will. Verse 51, I am the bread, the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my what? It's my body, my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his body to eat? Cannibal. You realize that in the first uh, two centuries of the church, the church was, confu- uh, was um, no, the first 100 years of the church, it was accused of cannibalism, right? Anybody want to take a stab as to why the church was accused of cannibalism and, do we have any kids in here? Raise your hand discreetly if we have kids in here with ears. The church was, a confu- was uh, accused of group orgies and cannibalism. Anybody want to know why? incestuous orgies. That's what they're accused of. Anybody know why it was accused of incestuous orgies and, and cannibalism? Okay, the agape meal, which was a love feast. Anybody know what about the agape meal? The agape meal preceded the Eucharistic meal. It was where the rich cared for the poor in the congregation. They ate together. People brought food. The poor brought what they could bring. The rich brought everything they could bring, and they made sure everybody ate together. And out of that meal flowed the Eucharist. They did that the first 200-ish years of the church, they quit the love feast because, you know, it sounded like an inappropriate feast, right? I mean, go, let's have a love feast and go tell your neighbors, right? Like, you want to come to my church's love feast? They ain't coming. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, uh, they, 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 they ain't having it. <laughs> so, but yeah, but why do you think they're accused of cannibalism? Because they ate the body and drank the what? And that's how they talked about it. Like, that's how they talked about it. Now, I'm going to preach in mode and we're going to quit. That's how they talked about it. They talked about it like that. They didn't say we ate the communion bread and, and drank the communion grape juice. They didn't even just say bread and wine. They said the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, we grew up in this tradition, the Independent Christian Church's tradition, which is a non-denominational church. It comes from a tradition like every other church. Grew up and sucked the sacramental life right out of the bread and the wine. Because we can't call it the body and the blood because that sounds too Catholic. Well, too bad it sounds too much like Jesus. Because that's how he talked about it. Take this bread which is my, 
Not like, memorial of my. He didn't say that. He actually didn't say that. Which is my what? And which is my? And so then what we start doing is start reading Zwingli and Luther and start arguing over whether or not we're re-sacrificing Jesus. We missed the whole, you don't even know, most, raise your hand if you know who Zwingli and Luther is. Well, I'll be, let's have a Bible study. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah, like the rest of you, don't worry, it's okay. They're just better than you. Don't, don't, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. No, we start reading all these arguments over what happened and why the church, I mean, there's a reason why the church argued over this and it was a good reason, okay? I don't hold the, the, the capital C Catholic church or the lowercase c, I should say, Catholic church view of the Eucharist. So don't, so if you know that where that, where that argument landed, I'm not landing quite there, but I am landing in the middle where Jesus is, where it makes room for mystery. And I think I've got good biblical basis for that. The bottom line is Jesus is saying, if you see this bread as my body and you see this cup as my blood, then you're reminded every week you gather that you are filled. But if you just come seeing it as a thing we've got to do, then it's just the thing you do and you're going to leave the table hungry. But if you bring all of your hungers and all of your needs and all of your thirsts and all of your emptiness to the table week in and week out and you see the bread as the body and you see the cup as the blood, and you see it being done with a people, not a person, but a people, and you see what Jesus' words is, I am with you. He's the host. He, with his hands by the Spirit, is giving us the body, his body, and he's saying, take, eat, this is my what? Body. Given for you. So, so clearly, Jesus, when he says, eat my body in this story, he doesn't mean what we think he means, but he, mean, he means more than we think he means. Does that make sense? No. Let me say it again. When Jesus says, eat my body, does he literally mean here, take a, would you like some Jesus fingers with that? Like that is not what he means. But he means more than we think he means, but he doesn't mean what we think he means. And that's why we have to discern it. And so Jesus says down the road in Luke, when he gets his disciples together, he has an aha moment with them, or they probably have an aha moment with him. And he says, hey, Hey, here's the, here's, the, here's the meal of the new covenant given for you. The new covenant. There's a new promise that has been made, and, and I'm going to give you the new promise. And the new promise is, here's the bread. You see this bread, guys? Yeah, it smells good, right? Here's the bread. This is my body eat. Do you th- what, do you think, what story do you think the disciples remembered? Come on. They remembered this story. You know why they remembered this story? What happened as a result of Jesus' teaching about eating of his body and drinking his blood in this story? What happened? What was the end result? Anybody see it? Look at your text. Yeah, they let, he, let, he lost all of his followers. Like the church, the mega church became a small church again. Oh, now that'll preach, but we ain't got time for that. He lost his followers. It was too hard. That's what it said. Everybody, come on now, look at me. Everybody say it was too hard. It was too hard. Because Jesus isn't about splitting allegiances. You can't split allegiances. And you can't split confidences. And we can't keep trying to find other things to fill us when Jesus has given his life to you and to me. Just don't look past it. When you see the bread and the cup, see more than the bread and the cup. See the body and the blood of Jesus. See God embodied on the cross, given for you and for me, and not just for you and not just for me, but for you and for me. 
See, the and matters. You know why the and matters? So that you and I will stop acting like we're better than others. So that you and I will stop acting like they're second class human beings in the world. So that you and I will remember people in Haiti and Africa are beautiful too. So that you and I will remember that your Republican neighbor and your Democrat neighbor and your Libertarian neighbor, your Muslim neighbor and your gay neighbor, all are worthy, worthy, say worthy, of your love because they are loved by God. We can be angry as the day is long. But when we take the body and the blood of Jesus, everything's supposed to change. Coming together to the Lord's table to receive the bread and the wine is an invitation to receive the welcome of Jesus. But it is also a summons to leave the table as a people who welcome others. This is a table of invitation. It is a yes and a thank you to God. Well, we remember when we eat the bread and the wine, drink the wine, we take in the body and the blood of Jesus. This has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with faith. Jesus didn't say, he who believes in me and feels good about it will never die. And what I love about that is sometimes I don't feel like this. Sometimes I don't feel like loving you. Sometimes I don't feel like loving them. Sometimes I don't feel like anything like this tells me I should feel. When I come, my prayer is that God will strengthen my heart to believe. And when I come, even if I don't feel like taking it with you, I'm taking it with you anyway. And I have felt and known and seen the Holy Spirit do something in that. So see, we have our five little statements we make in our rule of life. Love one another for God's sake. When we come to the table, did you know that when we come to the table, we learn how to do that? See, loving someone for your sake is to love them on your terms. You with me? To love somebody for their sake is to love them on their terms. But to love somebody for God's sake is to learn how to love somebody on God's terms. Those terms are eternal. See, guard one another's backs. See, the beauty of the table is it calls us to guard one another's backs. So before I come to the table, what I'm reminded of is if, I've stick, if I have stuck a knife in your back, I need to go to you and pull it out of your back before I come to the table. I can't come to the table with knives in my hands. Guarding one another's back has to look like something. I mean, you think about the literal imagery. We're all in line. If somebody fell in front of you, what are you going to do? You're going to pick them up, right? And you're going to take them to the table. See, that's, that's Christianity. 
See how beautiful that is? Protect one another's personal values or kingdom values. See, at the table we're reminded that if Danny ate the body and drank the blood of Jesus, and I ate the body and drank the blood of Jesus, Danny and I can't just leave this room and go feast at the table of demons throughout the rest of the week. If I see him doing it, i got to love him enough for God's sake to guard his back and say, that ain't right. You with me? Probably need to use better grammar than that. Ain't's a good word, though, I think. We hold each other to the table because we hold each other to Christ. See, the believe one another's motives thing, I think that's the one that gets us the most. We see people through lens of suspicion. So here's a thought. Before you start questioning other people's motives, how about you question your own before you come to the table? How about we do that first? Before we start thinking, I wonder what Fred meant when he said that, if he meant this and if he meant that. How about you question your motives as to why that even matters? if we're all placing it in submission to the Lordship of Jesus. How about we question our own motives and come to the table where we find freedom from that? And then singing one another's praises. Like We really should leave the table grateful, right? Like grateful for what God's done. Because the world has tried to feed us all week long. The world has tried to give us food that we know won't fill us and drink that we know won't satisfy us but Christ has given us Him. So here's the thing. Monday may come and you're all right. Tuesday may come and you're a little less better than, than Monday. Wednesday may come and you're working on all right. And Thursday may come and all right's now out the door. Friday may come and there's nothing going on all right. Saturday may come and you're just relieved not to have to go to work or do what you did Monday through Friday. But then Sunday comes. And you come to the table and you remember that the body and the blood of Jesus was given to you and everything should be all right. Does that make sense? Is that too Pollyanna? Is that too uh, idealistic? Because if it is, it's why it requires faith. I'll be honest with you. It's not feelings, it's faith. We come to the table, which has now replaced the altar. We're going to sing a song about an altar. But there is no altar in the Christian church. The altar of the old covenant has been replaced by the table of the new covenant. So when you sing and hear the words, come to the altar, think of the table. Because here Christ is found. You may not know where He's been all week long, but He is here. And He has given us His body, and He has given us His blood. And you may have felt alone all week, but you come to the table not alone, but with a people to remember. And it is in that remembering that we believe and can believe again.